0: Hi, this is Mark Leonard. I'm the director of ECFR and I'd like to welcome you to the Insight China podcast. The podcast that will leave you smarter about what China's thinkers think. Over the last few years, it's been much harder to tap into the discussion that Chinese intellectuals are having. In-person exchanges have become a lot rarer and the space for debate has been shrinking for a number of years now. We want to make an attempt at changing that. Engage in a conversation with some of the best Chinese academics, researchers, writers, or journalists on the entire range of topics in Chinese internal debates that matter most to Europeans. And joining us today is Dr. Duan Jiezhou, who is a research assistant professor of political science at Tsinghua University. His research focuses on the politics in the Middle East, with a special interest in state-society relations the political economy of development. He's a frequent contributor on Middle East and North African affairs in both the Chinese and international media. And with his help, we hope to learn more about how Chinese scholars view the dynamics in the Middle East and how and what that means for, for the future of this important region. J.
1: thank you so much for, for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very glad that I got the chance to speak with Mark and uh, to the audience you have in the podcast.
0: Great. So maybe we can just start with a, a big question so that people can sort of understand where your research fits in. And the Middle East has obviously gone through an enormous amount of, of turmoil and political change over the last few decades. Can you say a bit about how Chinese scholars think about the, the balance of power in the Middle East today, who the major players are and how they fit together?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, I, I think traditionally the, the Chinese scholars think that at least there are five big powers in the Middle East, which is Egypt, Israel, Turkey, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. Uh, but of course, uh, you know, in Chinese views, uh, Arab countries matters more than the other non-Arab countries because, as always, uh, China supports uh, Arab countries' independence course uh, after the Second World War, uh, but in terms of the you know uh, physical power and soft power, uh, all the five uh, countries are very important. Uh, and of course, uh, in general, uh, we understand there are different types of, of dynamics uh, of the power competition within the region. Uh, and uh, uh, as always, Chinese uh, government or official lines always stand with the Palestinian issue uh, was slightly. Uh, more uh, clinging to the Arab cause rather than non-Arab cause, uh, but of course, uh, I think those topics like the Palestinian issue, like the uh, Islamic movement, has already been passed away uh, in recent years. Uh, so we also realize those are like uh, uh, there are new uh, dimensions uh, of the conflict or power struggles within the region, and uh, you can see there's a change of the uh, uh, Chinese foreign policy in the region. Uh, which want to be more adapting to the new dynamics uh, in the region. Yes. So
0: we've been talking for a while about the, the Middle East, and I think in one of your uh, one of our discussions, you said that one could almost think about the Middle East not just in terms of the regional powers, but also thinking about how the global powers uh, relate to one another. And I think you use this phrase that it could be seen as a laboratory for a post-American world, because the U.S. Is, is pulling in and lots of other powers are now becoming more active in the Middle East.
1: Yes, yes. I, I think this is a not a, you know, a new phenomenon in terms of the historical re- research, right? If we're thinking about uh, the situation after the Second World War, there is a, uh, you know introduction of the American power and Soviet power in the region after the pulling out of the French and the British power in the region. Uh, but I don't think uh, you know, the current trend of the uh, great power intervention in the region is quite identical to the you know, 1950s. Uh, I think the American power uh is still very strong uh presenting in the in the region and Chinese power or even Russian power are uh, not in a hurry to replacing the American uh you know influence in the region. Uh, I think for one reason is that, uh, you know, those other big powers realize the Americans' intervention in the region is such a strategic force for itself. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) no other big powers uh, are willing uh, to repeat the same fault to get itself too involved in the region. Uh, another is, I think, uh, you know, uh, those powers have a limited power in world, well, maybe less power than the United States uh, to get involved in. Uh, but of course, I think uh, with uh, Americans kind of like uh, retreating, quote unquote, retreating uh, from the region, uh, the intention of the regional uh, countries to invite in other big powers to participate uh, in the regional dynamics uh, has become more evident.
0: And the most powerful example of that, the one which people are talking about the most, is is what happened between Saudi Arabia and Iran and the normalization of the relationships between the two. And both sides seem very keen for China to be involved in that process.
1: Yes, Uh, I think uh, this is happening also uh, incrementally, not all of a sudden. Of course, everybody was caught uh, in a surprise to find out there is a triangle. Uh, triangle discussion between China, Saudi, and the Iranians. Uh, But I think China has been pushing in this direction uh, even before the pandemic. Uh, As far as I know, uh, there is a think tank under the Chinese foreign ministry uh, have an annual conference on the Gulf security uh, discussions. But of course, not everyone is interested in uh, China's initiative in the beginning. And they are uh, attending a conference. I mean, the regional scholars are attending the conference because out of the respect for China, uh, uh, you know, as a, a great power status. Uh, and Ch- I think Chinese initiative was quite different than the Western ones was than the other ones. Uh, that is because China is arguing uh, the safety for all, not only for uh, Saudi itself, or not only for Iran itself. Uh, basically, China is calling for compromises from both sides and to sit on the table to find a solution, uh, rather than uh, you know to 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 use uh, you know outside powers uh, military uh, protection or military uh, containment to protect the regime itself. Uh, but I think uh, the timing uh, you know of the negotiation comes because uh, both Saudi Arabia and Iran realize uh, they have these own vulnerabilities. You know, especially after the, the pandemic. Uh, because of the, uh, you know, uh, turbulent oil price. And also there are protests within the uh, Iranian territory. And of course, there are Houthi uh, missile attacks on the uh, Saudi territory. Uh, so both sides realize it will be very detrimental for them to continue such kind of a geopolitical competition. And uh, of course, there are other regional powers or regional players try to, to broker uh, the negotiation like Oman, like Iraq. But I think uh, both Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, you know, present themselves as a big power uh, or middle power in the world. So they want to find a more powerful, more stronger uh, guarantor for their, uh, you know, reapproachment. Uh I think I, in that sense, uh, China is a perfect choice for them. Uh, so I think this is how it comes, uh, you know, in our eyes. And to what extent is
0: China um, going to be the guarantor. I mean what can China do to make sure that this this deal lasts?
1: Yeah yeah I mean uh, it's a very good question yeah, because I think as far as I know uh, uh the negotiation or well, announcement from the three parties are just uh, the beginning uh, yeah. of the rapprochement. Uh the Chinese embassies in Saudi Arabia in the Iran uh, they are pushing a lot of the efforts to make sure uh, the details of the announcements uh, will come into effect. Uh, and not only those embassies, but also uh, Chinese embassies uh, in the other regional countries like Lebanon, like Yemen, right? like, like Iraq. When there is a conflict of interest of the two countries, uh, China is trying to uh, put efforts uh, to make a compromise between the two parties. Of course, I, I realize that the Chinese government doesn't have a very strong leverage over the two countries like the United States. Uh, but I think the intention of Chinese efforts uh, to make the approach into reality is very sincere. And uh, of course, I think everybody understands if this happening uh, in reality it will help China build a very positive diplomatic image in the world.
0: And to, to what extent do you think that this role that China played in the Saudi-Iran context could actually be extended to some of the other conflicts that you talked about? I mean, how, how actively is, it, is China uh, getting involved in some of these other conflicts that you just described?
1: I think uh, the case of the you know Saudi-Iranian reapproachment just show a very good case for China's uh, kind of the uh, uh, a big power status and soft power uh, in its negotiation or broker the the peace between countries. Uh, But I think it happens because both uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran want to make peace themselves rather than China's you know uh, leverage over them. Uh, So I think uh, if we want to talk about China's role in uh, Iran, uh, Israel, uh, uh, you know, rapprochement or Russian-Ukraine rapprochement, it depends on the conditions and the intentions of the, you know, conflictual uh, sides themselves, uh, not only, you know, intention from China. So I think one of the things which surprised
0: people uh, with this deal was the fact that there hadn't been that much talk about China playing this role beforehand. but. There has been a steady change in China's profile in the region. Firstly, economically, you know, it's been for a number of years now, the biggest consumer of hydrocarbons uh, in the region and took over from the US quite a few years ago. And alongside that, China's been getting more involved in non-economic relations. Can you talk a bit about how China's presence in the Middle East has changed over the last decade?
1: Yes. Yes, of course. I think uh, over the last decades uh, as you say the china's majority of Chinese' roles are economic uh but I think uh people may be all, uh, underestimated China's role in the security side that is because people often think uh the security role played by outside big powers are basically under protection of the regime themselves of course, in this sense, China play a very very uh, small role uh, you know not like the united states uh uh, but in terms of the security, for example, of the navigation, of the, you know, uh, commercial lines, I think China is becoming more and more important uh, to play such a role. And uh, actually, this is not information from um, my, uh, you know, uh, interviews in China, but it's rather an interview from the Gulf uh, uh, academics. I think the Gulf, uh, you know, uh, policymakers also realize uh, when there are less American intervention or protection uh, from the Western powers, uh, the regional countries will be more determined to provide the protection of the maritime uh, lines themselves. For example, when there are like uh, uh, privacy, uh, uh, you know, uh, threats in the, uh, in the Gulf of the Aden and also Arabian Sea, uh, there are a patrol of the Chinese Navy and also even South Korean Navy. Uh, has been operating there, and they are protecting the commercial uh, ships uh, by themselves. So I think in that sense, uh, China has already began to play some kind of security role in the region uh, uh, for the commercial interests rather than the political interests. And there was a a lot of talk
0: uh, recently about some of the initiatives which Xi Jinping has launched, particularly the So these three initiatives, the Global Development Initiative, the Global Security Initiative and the Global Civilization Initiative. You look particularly at the Middle East. To what extent do these initiatives play a role in in your region?
1: Uh, I don't think you know it was specifically targeted at any region, of course. Yeah, it's, uh, but I it's think a, they're
0: global, but they
1: they have yes. expressions in all the regions. No? Yes, yes, it's an expression. I think of the Chinese uh, unique philosophy of how the world should be uh, not operated when when maybe developed into the uh, a, a better direction. Uh, I'm not an expert on the you know uh, on, on the uh, national policy of the Chinese government but I think from my understanding as a Chinese national <laughs> I think it will be uh, a quite a uh, novel idea for the regional country to realize they have a new path to follow uh, which is of course not Chinese path uh, it will be a, 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 a tentative thinking for themselves to, to think uh, if we can think out of the box of the uh, you know previous discussions, for example, about uh, the detriment of the modernity or the traditionalist land, uh, or if there is still a conflict over the own traditional uh, culture or you know development, uh, I think recently the most exciting discussion in China is about uh, you know Chinese style of the modernization, uh, which is not actually not to... Uh, promoting the Chinese way of the modernization to the world, but also, uh, uh, but more important to lead other countries to realize each country has its own path of modernization. Uh, you cannot, you know, just follow one path of the, uh, you know, other countries as an ultimate uh, role uh, towards the modernity. Uh, it, it will be an inspiration uh, for the regional country. Yes. If we if we focus in a bit more on the
0: security uh, relations, what sorts of um, things is you know you mentioned maritime security, which is very uh, obviously a huge concern given how much um, of global trade and particularly important things like oil goes through through yeah. the region. Um, what other kinds of ways is is China getting more involved in in security in the Middle East than before? Uh,
1: I, I think uh, there used to be a very strong cooperation between China and the regional country on counterterrorism and and I think that's a common uh concern for both sides uh, but i I think in term, I think maybe there are you know over attention on China's security engagement in the region because people always think there's going to be some kind of competition between the United States and China in this kind of field. Uh, but personally, I think uh, that could be an overestimation because there are more common interests uh, than you know conflict of the interest uh, between China and United States in the region. Uh, for example, both uh, both sides want uh, the free flow of oil, you know petroleum and oil uh, trade. Uh, both sides want the stability of the regional country, uh, and both sides want the prosperity of the regional country. Uh, so there are going to be less chance uh, to happen. Uh, you know, in the same way, like the 20th century the Cold War in the Middle East, yeah. uh, to play a proxy war between the Soviet Union and the United States uh, in the region. That is, uh, I think the reason uh, the United States and Soviet Union play a proxy role in the Middle East that is because uh, the Middle East region is in conjunction of the so, uh, of the Soviet border, uh, which will be. Uh, more useful uh, to play a proxy role that could be influenced on the Muslim population uh, inside the Soviet Union, uh, but I think that is not the case right now. Uh, you know, between China and the United States, uh, the only uh, uh, bordering country of the you know Middle Eastern country, what well, general Middle a wider Middle Eastern country to China Chinese. is Afghanistan. Yeah. Others are still very far away, so yeah. uh, it would be hardly for them to influence any kind of uh, like uh, you know uh, uh, population inside China. Uh, so I think there's going to be more cooperation rather than conflict in the region between China and the United States. And one of
0: the areas where China and the United States have, have cooperated in the past is that they're not around nuclear issues, particularly on Iran. Yes. Um, that whole uh, dossier has become a lot more complicated recently because of the breakdown of relations between China, uh, between Iran and uh, and the United States of America. Yes. Um. How do you, how do Chinese people think about the future of non-proliferation in the region? Because obviously, you know, your Saudi Iran deal goes to the heart of this question. I mean, mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia is terrified of the Iranian nuclear program. One of the reasons I think that they were very keen to work with China is because they felt that the United States was no longer as reliable a partner as as, as they want it to be. And they were very frustrated that, that the US didn't respond to the attacks on, on Saudi oil insta- installations by by Iran. And I think that led to a real break. I mean, the relationship broke in lots of different ways, but that was a, a kind of crisis moment from a Saudi perspective. So you both got your traditional role on the JCPOA as one of the signatories of the jcpoa the the Mm -hmm. iran nuclear deal but Mm -hmm. then also this kind of new evolving relationship with saudi arabia yes Yes. how how do you think china's thinking about these nuclear issues and where they're going to go and what role Mm -hmm. it can play to prevent an escalation because i think one of the big fears that people have now is because diplomacy is is not working very well that you could see this um erupting into you know whether it's Israeli strikes on, on Iran or some kind of uh, nuclear escalation in the region as other powers get their own nuclear programs up and running?
1: Yeah, I, I think as far as I know, uh, the China's position on non-proliferation of the nuclear power has been very consistent and stayed fast. Uh that is because China, I think China realized that if there is going to be one nuclear power in the region, others power will pursue their own way of the developing the nuclear power. For example, like, you know, uh, Egypt or Saudi Arabia or even Turkey, you know, people have have, have been discussing on that. Uh, but I I I don't see, you know, the, the nuclear issue has been a very important issue between China and Iranian, uh, you know, relation. I think uh, the economic side has always been more important. Uh, as we know, there is a huge, uh, you know, economic crisis within the Iranian territory. I think uh, they are counting on China uh, to kind of like saving their their trade record or economic record. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, both Saudi Arabia and Iran uh, want to have an alternative uh, kind of partnership with China. But I think uh, the real reason behind that is, uh, are quite different. Uh, for example, for Iran, uh, economic factor played a big role. but I think for Saudi Arabia uh, uh, you know rather than Iran, it looks like a more like the normal global player because it was not sanctioned by the outside powers. Uh, so I think for Saudi Arabia, the think itself has become a middle power or you know, very important global power. You want to f- kind of find a you know strategic uh, partnership. But I think the timing for the Saudi Arabia uh, is very important. Uh, that is because uh, when the current uh, U.S. President uh, Joe Biden came to power, he called Saudi Arabia a prayer, and that create a very uh, you know bad image of the United States in the Saudi Arabia. And uh, but overall, I think Saudi Arabia is still a U.S. ally. Uh, but it was not uh, going to uh, you know uh, terminate its relationship with the United States. But during the presidency of a democratic, uh, you know, president, uh, you have kind of, kind, kind of have an excuse to build a better relationship with China. So the timing of, uh, of Democrats in power has been very important for Saudi Arabia to find an alternative strategically. So if we we're gonna have a Republican president uh, in the future, I I will bet that Saudi Arabia as relations with the United States will get it better again. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you see, if you look forward,
0: I mean, we talked a bit about how China has changed its presence in the region over the last 10 years compared to where it was. If you look at the next 10 years, how do you see China's presence in the region developing?
1: Yes, I, I think uh, there is an increasing uh, interest of the Chinese business, especially private sector, uh, into the Gulf region. That's for sure. In what uh, sectors, in particular? Obviously, oil and gas is some of it. But. Not really. I think people are, 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 you know, are seeking investment from the Gulf yeah. countries uh, to 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 build startups and entrepreneurship, and also tech companies. Uh, and of course, Gulf is a very important market. I, I think that is happening now uh and of course, I think for the Gulf countries they also want to diversify their own investment globally uh so this is what is happening uh but looking into into the future, I think uh, we're gonna have uh, more and more autonomous uh you know positions from the region rather than they're gonna be more big power competition in the region because I think uh the regional uh, countries are become stronger uh they are seeking their own uh, independence independence militarily economically and uh, even ideologically uh so uh i think uh, in terms of the china's relation with the uh, middle east i think china perceived the middle east as a, the the most concentrated area of the middle powers uh, but those, those middle powers are important swing states <laughs> or you know uh, they, they 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 will stand between the united states and china as they were not easily to choose sides uh, between the two uh So strategically, I think China realized uh you know over war you know within those developing countries, Middle East play an even bigger role uh because uh they have at least the five or six middle powers which have its uh you know gravity uh, in the global voices uh you know representing the global south. So which which th- these are the five countries you talked about at the
0: beginning you. W- one thing I've been thinking a lot about is I, I remember when the Arab uprisings happened um uh a decade ago, more than a decade ago now. And um there was a real shock, I think, uh, when um, Libya um happened and lots of Chinese people had to be flown back to China. And it was, I think, one of the first big operations where China had to evacuate a large number of people in a sort of global environment. It was quite impressive um, and sort of unforeseen. It was a different way of thinking about China's role uh, abroad. Um, as Chinese interests develop in the way that you're talking about, and China has more presence in places, it's quite possible that we could see more and more challenges taking place. People, when the Ukraine war happened, people were worried that the disruptions of food supplies might end up having very bad implications for the Middle East because right? the Arab uprising initially one of the things that caused them was was about grain prices going through the roof, and they obviously went through the roof now yeah. um how how does China think about both keeping its own citizens abroad? I mean how many Chinese people
1: roughly do you think live in the Middle east now um in the middle East the most concentrated area of the Chinese diaspora is Dubai. Right. It has uh, 200,000 kind of population of Chinese okay. diaspora there, uh, but other, other countries maybe have uh, several thousands. Uh, yeah, like like Egypt, several thousands uh, in Turkey as well. Um, other countries have uh, much less population right. of Chinese. But in
0: Libya, it was like 30,000 people who had to be shipped out, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that's because I think, uh, you know, before the Arab Spring, China considered Gaddafi's Libya is quite a prosperous and a stable country. Uh, of course, it's a misjudgment, uh, but I think it happens, you know, when everybody is doing business with everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially after the pandemic, after the Russian-Ukraine war, everybody, I think, including the Western country and China, realized uh, the, the the danger or, or the risk of the global supply chain. So everybody tried to find uh, its own way of the you know supply security. I think it's the same case for China. Uh, and of course, I think uh, the Chinese business right now is all, all over the world. Uh, Chinese government uh, will definitely have more responsibility of, of protecting them. Uh, but of course, uh, I think the businessmen are more clever than government. government. They will try to avoid as much risk as they can without, you know dealing with money and also uh, profitable industries. Uh, so I think overall, it doesn't change much, uh, you know, uh, you know, for in terms of the, you know, protecting the diaspora overseas. And do you think that we could see another
0: wave of, of instability in the Middle East in the same way that we did with Arab uprisings? Is that something that
1: you worry about? Uh, I think it's... it it will not happening very fast. Uh, Of course, uh, you can tell that uh, the uprising in the world with change of government, in Algeria and Sudan in 2019, you could consider it as a second wave Arab Spring. Uh, But I think uh, the Arab Spring has already had some of its effects or results coming out of it, is that that is the failure of the Islamist movements. With the Islamists uh, coming to power, That prove themselves, uh, you know, not very good at governing the country. Uh, So people are, you know, trying to find new solutions, uh, but also uh, not very successful. So you can see there are many countries back to their own, you know, the old uh, styles of governance, uh, like, you know, the military is coming back to power. Also, people are believing in uh, stronger uh, leaders rather than, uh, you know, uh, electoral politics. So uh, I think definitely uh, the Middle East will gonna have a more transformative change uh, again. That is because, uh, you know, until now I think the Middle Eastern countries still on the periphery of the industrialization. Uh, if you see, there they're gonna be the fourth industrial revolution that would definitely not be happening in the Middle East region. Uh, it will more probably happen in the North American or the you know, East Asian region. Uh, so in terms of this, I think uh, this kind of the, uh, you know, marginalization economically and the politically of the region uh, will also lead uh, you know, people to rethinking of their its own governance and uh, you know, even uh, system. And that uh, is the root of a revolution in the future.
0: So what are you working on at the moment?
1: I myself actually am working on civil-military relations in the Middle East. I think. In which countries, in particular? Uh, I I think overall I'm interested in the role of the military. Uh, if not not even you know in the Middle East, but also uh, globally. I think, uh, you know, when people are uh, losing faces of uh, as I said, maybe electoral politics. Uh, many countries and uh, many people in the developed country trying to find uh, strong leaders. Uh. But those strong leaders, uh some are capable, some are incapable, uh, but uh, main, uh but I think in many cases uh they they can at least prove themselves of uh creating an order out of chaos. Uh so I think uh you know in the future the role of the military is gonna become bigger and bigger in many countries. Uh uh, some are evident, some are not evident. If you think about the Singapore, it's even unimaginable, right? Uh, every, uh, you know, almost every uh, civil uh, servant in Singapore uh, should pursue kind of the military service before their jobs in the government. And not so many people realize that. Uh, so in, in the time that the turbulence and turmoil, uh, the role of the military become a very intellectually uh, stimulating topic uh, for many scholars.
0: mm mm-hmm. So, which countries are you particularly focused on in terms of the civil military relations?
1: Uh, I write my dissertation on Egypt, on right. uh, civil military uh, relation in Egypt. Uh, yeah. But uh, right now, I think uh, I'm going to uh, try to create a uh, wider dimension of the topic. Yeah.
0: And if you think about the Middle Eastern studies as a field in Chinese universities, what are the areas that are most um, hot, the, the hottest areas where people are working the most at the moment?
1: Uh, I I think China has been uh, you know uh, very original into in its Middle East studies back into uh, back in 20th century. I think there are many uh, Chinese Muslim scholars have been migrated or studied in the Middle East, especially in Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, because Chinese Muslims are majority of them are, are Hanafi, so they tend to study in As High University and you know bring back in their knowledge on the Arabic and also on the original politics and culture. Uh, So I think those kind of the foundation is very solid uh, for the Chinese Middle Eastern studies. Uh, But I think in the times of globalization, uh, Chinese academics has been uh, hugely influenced by the trend of the global topics, for example, especially after the 9-11 events. I think there are many Chinese scholars follow uh, the the topics of the extremism or Islamist movements. Uh, but I think that kind of tendency has already uh, been slowed down uh, because uh, there are less attentions even you know, in the Western academias uh, on this topic. And I think yeah, after the proposal of the One Belt and One Road Initiative, there are more attention from Chinese academics on the economic development of the Middle Eastern country. Uh, but more recently, I think... Uh, there are more you know diversified uh, topics, uh, for example, as I mentioned, the role of military or role of the traps, role of the businessmen and also on the women's issue uh, and also on the you know uh, state uh, religious uh, relations I, and I think recently more importantly because there are more attention of the region country towards the East Asia, especially towards China. Uh, the bilateral relationship between China and the regional country become a very hot topic uh, in the Chinese academics, uh, and especially uh, the relation between the Gulf countries. Uh, yes, I think that's basically the situation now. Yeah,
0: and in terms of the the Gulf countries. How do you see them developing as, as, as actors? Um, because as you said, they're becoming much more self-confident, looking for multi-alignment with all sorts of relationships with other players, not just uh, with China and Russia, but also with different relations with, with Israel. That's changing dramatically. Yes. Um, and they are becoming increasingly active in lots of different Theaters, you know, whether it's what's if you look at Sudan at the moment, it's very difficult to understand a lot of dynamics without looking at the activism, not just of Saudi Arabia but of the UAE and and Qatar and in other areas. But how how do you see that developing?
1: I think uh, the Gulf countries is becoming powerful, uh, you know, in the sense of the globalization, uh, because I think uh, uh, there are two factors uh, which is uh, causing uh, you know could penetrate the national border. Uh, that is capital and religion. I think I think the Gulf country have both of them, <laughs> so that makes uh, the Gulf country uh, very very vocal and powerful in the world. And of course, I think uh, because of that, they become more confident, uh, try to uh, play an, uh, an important role in the you know regional politics and the world politics. Uh, but in terms of their uh, relationship with uh, with China, I think. Uh, the hedge into China because they find China as a useful alternative. Uh, I think, but whether you're going to deepen in a relationship with China, like the, what the, its relationship with the United States, uh, we still uh, wait some time and, uh, uh, and and see. Yes. So one of the the new areas of. Of instability and conflict,
0: the nearest ones is mm. Sudan, where there is a real danger of a pro- of a new proxy war developing with lots of different players who are active in the region.
1: How do you see the dynamics in Sudan? I think uh, the civil uh, war, uh, you know, erupted out of the Sudan is kind of uh, a result of the separation of Sudan and South Sudan. I think basically the oil uh, preserves are located in South Sudan, and that's uh, you know, separation deprives the oil wells of Sudan and makes the Sudan um, a poorer country than before. And that definitely creates some problem, uh, not only for the previous government, but also for the, you know, uh, any government in in Sudan. You know, there's going to be more uh, conflict and uh, disobedient discomfort from one society. Uh, and of course, uh, we also realize there are, you know, external interventions in the Sudanese politics uh, for example, the, the rapid responsive forces have its own route from Chad, uh, and also the, the ruling uh, Sudan Armed Forces also have its own foreign supports. So that all kind of factors makes the uh, situation very complicated, uh, and which also makes the conflict could be more pronounced than we expected
0: thank you very much. I think we covered a lot of ground. It's very interesting to see um, how the Middle East becomes more and more important in Chinese diplomacy and to Chinese uh, economics, but also how China is becoming much more of a factor when it comes to the future of the region's politics and in fact, even its geopolitics. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to the Insight China podcast. If you haven't done it already, we'd encourage you to subscribe to future episodes on whatever platform you've downloaded this episode on and whilst you're there we'd be thrilled if you gave us a positive rating and a five-star review because that helps bring other people to the pod but for now from Juan J. Joe and myself Mark Leonard it's goodbye the researcher of the podcast was Sonia Lee and the editor of this episode was Mireia farrow Sarat.